thank you so much for coming, Patty. It's so nice to see you. Thank you, Kim. And Kim, welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you back. Patty, I love your boots. Oh, do you, do you want me to tell you a little bit yeah, about Yeah, I them? do. Well, they're a conversation piece. They are. They're the Frankenstein boot from Prada's 2019 runway collection. Wow. And I eyed them for a couple of years and found them on Poshmark. At a fraction of the price and brand new. Good for you. So good thing, like, you know, upselling or what's it called? Upcycling. Upcycling. Upcycling, is yeah. a thing. It benefited me to the tune of about $1,000. So I love it. Yeah. And it's the right thing to do. And it's the right thing to do. So and thanks for asking about them. Yeah, well, I, I love it. My wife does that too, and I really like it. Not just because it saves money, but you're just reusing something great, and you probably bought it off some asshole that <laughs> had to have it in their closet, <laughs> and literally just never, ever wore it, like... Or worse, they stole it. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) We all know those assholes are out there. (laughs) So, Patty, how's it going? I mean, you won a big award recently. I guess that's one of the most. That's why I'm here. Yeah, kind of. Like, I I, honestly, you're here because our part of our industry, the the sales and marketing of large scale developments is led mostly by women and you are one of the most influential women in all of bc apparently i thought just in our industry but i think the award was for all of bc was it well uh i'll i'll take that uh yes there were other sectors and it was um there wasn't a nomination process so i was even more honored that it came a bit more organically than that so Um, but thank you for, for acknowledging that yeah thank you know what I, i really meant what i said on my linkedin post that to be among all of the women there yeah was a true honor yeah that's cool thank you and cassie i think was at the event yeah i think she uh she's the one who told me about it and uh she's a young future leader in her industry and was super impressed by it so so glad to have you here today with your old friend kim robertson and our vice president of marketing young friend who i've known a long time (laughs) much better (laughs) (laughs) kim and i worked together since like forever and uh but i've known her even longer longer. yes yes forever forever yeah and can i say kim was a woman and is a woman of influence absolutely at the start of my career and i'll never forget how she walked in the room commanded it with her knowledge her expertise her campaign experience and i just learned so much from her in the time that we worked together and then following your career through the, through the, I'm going to say decades, plural, um, <laughs> uh, it's just been magic. And I just, I have so much admiration for you. I did then and I do now. Oh, I totally feel the same. Just watching us kind of grow and watching women in general grow in this industry mm-hmm. has been uh, just amazing because it used to just be like five of us. Mm, it's true. And, and but you you did something that we are now all getting memos about, which is you lifted up women in a room always. Yeah. And you sure. you never put yourself forward or your idea forward to be heard or known. Now, I don't know, Cam, you may uh, comment on this. She may have changed. But I remember at the time, you know, everyone's idea was celebrated. And again, th- this is, we're talking 20 years ago. And we, well, where was that that you guys started together to- so long ago? We were at Platinum. The, it was the project marketing entity within McDonald Realty yeah. evolved to Magnum, but we were, you know, basically fighting over desktop printers in the in the bullpen of the uh, realtor, um, I guess, den, back, back of house, back of house as an inconvenience. I remember feeling that way. And it was just such a wonderful ride. And, it, you know, the, the, that side of the business grew because as Vancouver has become a center of excellence for real estate marketing, that was the time that was those early two thousands. And, uh, I don't know if my grandma was right on that. That was the early two thousands. Sorry, um, no, the early two thousands. And, and we were, you know, all learning a lot and, um, doing things that hadn't been done before really. I mean, they had been, but we just kind of, every campaign sort of took it to the next level and, and outgrew the space, you know, the company evolved and, um, thriving to this day and uh that i'll never forget getting my start there and you were colleagues at that time mm-hmm. yeah yeah same company similar roles working side by side yeah well kim came in senior because she had come from now was it townline yeah i came from townline so i came from having that bit of that development experience which um which was layered on into platinum which was mm-hmm. great and so when we were working together it was really being able to add that value beyond just the marketing and sales that we normally do. 
And, um, but going back to the idea of the team, I still am that way. I love the team. I want people to have ideas. I want people to share ideas. I don't want to take credit for ideas. You know, that has always been me like from the beginning to the end. I think Cam would, would agree with that. Totally. Right on. I bet you have great people as a result. Oh, we have awesome people. Yeah. Awesome people. This microphone is. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I remember. You get used to it. Nick, you, can you tighten that so she, her arm doesn't get tired holding that up? Thank you. you. Um, <laughs> one of the campaigns that you had done was, um, I guess, Townline was doing a bunch of retrofits or loft conversions. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, like when we see good signage or good hoardings, I always refer to it as like signage porn, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll like, take a picture and text so it to good. my friends. <laughs> anyway, this campaign um, was an empty room, clearly a residential loft conversion with a bicycle and nothing else in it. And I don't know, Kim, if you remember, you'll probably remember the campaign vividly, but and when I remember, when I noted that you had done it, I was like, you were behind that campaign. That's so bold. Like, how did you get the budget approved? And how did you get the ad through? And it was just basically a bicycle with cement walls around it. <laughs> and it said so much without having a lot in it. And that, you know, and again, it was just the, the boldness. I loved it. Well, and, you have to give you know, big credit to um, Rick Illich for being, you know, also quite a visionary in that space. But yeah, that was for Metro Living. And that still to this day is one of the highlights that I've had for mm. projects that I've done. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, we dragged Corbusier's chairs. We had bicycles. We put them in demo sites. We had Jessica Bushy, who was photog- who was the photographer, an amazing archival photographer. We were working with David Wiley. Like mm. We had just such a phenomenal team on that project. And it won so many awards. It was just awesome. So right on, right on. Kim, so before Townline, you were was that straight out of school for you, or what were you doing before that? Um, well, creative, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had gone to school for advertising. You know, that had been my that had been kind of my gig. My my godfather is kind of like one of the original madmen of advertising. And uh, when I finished school, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to go into advertising. I'm going to do cool campaigns. It'd be awesome. And then that was when the dot-com bubble burst. And there was no way that any studio was going to pick up a kid that was just out of university. And so I ended up actually doing a lot of work with AMB Sound. Hmm. And I was doing their flyer campaigns. And I was, you know... I was like, oh my God, I'm going to become like an AMB sound lifer. But um, fortunately I didn't. It was actually um, through my dad. We, uh, we go up to a place called Sundance Guest Ranch and we happened to be up there riding around and my dad was talking to Rick and, and Rick was like, well, you know, I do development. And my dad's like, well, my daughter needs a job and <laughs> and she's creative and, you know, maybe there could be a fit. And so that was kind of just how it all started. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah. you went from that. So you went into Townline and then Platinum. And then Platinum, well, Platinum, basically there was a wind down. You know, all of a sudden we got through 2006, 2007, and there was a bit of a wind down. And, um, and George shrunk his team. And so... Um, all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, I got to go find a new place to work. And uh, that's when I got a call from Jason Craig to come and see if I'd like to enjoy working at uh, <laughs> Mac. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's a pretty cool dude. And so, um, and so became, became a, another eight year career working at uh, Mac Marketing Solutions. Nice. And Patty, where did your story begin? Well, not dissimilar to Kim, my dad was having dinner with George and George said, my team is growing. So this was 2004 and I had just finished a degree at UVic, but then had gone quite quickly after that to BCIT to do their marketing management program. I knew having taken one marketing course that that was the path for me to combine the creative business um, side of things with the career. So 
met George and um, started as his associate, essentially dry cleaning, banking. And then, you know, that that quick, quickly became learning on the job and, and uh, doing the night school and the program and then doing my license because I really loved the sales process. And then I was told I was not, I mean, I was a bit too emotionally uh, wedded to the buyers. I would spend too long with the buyers and it was in the heyday of like, let's just get them through. <laughs> so you were their best salesperson. Well, I, you're, I think you're being jestful, but no, I don't, I don't know that I was, I think I had like two, you know, that I still am pen, pen pals with, you know, like <laughs> I I, I'm not very good at um, this. Anyway, um, love, just love the marketing side. And as Kim said, you know, getting to know that perspective of what the developer had to go through because we were obviously always the client um client or no they were the client pardon me and we were the agency i was took joy in sitting in with some of those uh very notable developers such as pci grosvenor and and uh others where you know they had other concerns you know beyond the color the the pantone of the brand and i thought this is interesting what's what's an IRR, you know, and well, you know, what do you mean the unit mix impacts the profitability? And I kind of really got fascinated by that side of things. And, and that's when uh, an opportunity at Polygon came up um, to be on that developer perspective and in-house. And so I took that and moved over there. So um, that's how I got to see both sides and, and then the corporate uh, piece of it, which I now love and live and breathe. And that's, that's what I do with Grosvenor um, came after uh, the recession, or the, pardon me, the great financial crisis, and I went to uh, professional services marketing for an engineering firm, and that was where where I really understood the value of a corporate brand and how how far that can take you. Um, and that's where I am today. What else did you learn about marketing professional services? Like, what, was there anything? They have any epiphanies there? Or any takeaways? Um, relationships. That try as you might. You could put out the best, sexiest photo, um, but at the end of the day, if say an engineer can't connect on a personal level with with you know the people with whom they're trying to garner the business, then it just doesn't jive. Because at the end of the day, as we all know, you work with people you like. I mean, we can all have professional designations and degrees and a certain track record and establishment, but uh, you work with who you like, and if you get to choose, if you get to be so lucky to choose that, so. Um, that was one side of it, not to say that was always the case, but um, certain levels of expertise, whether it was an expertise in structural glass or if this was the best person for seismic or the best person for the building science restoration. So that was the, the one takeaway I'd say would be the relationship side of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that rings true for sure. And you're going way, way back. You got an identical twin sister, right? <laughs> I do. I do. Thank you for bringing her up. Yeah, she's you like my, her? She's my heartbeat. Um, yeah, I get, you know, I guess so. Yeah, I know. I love her more than anything. And um, we are polar opposites. And, and uh, when all of my friends and family listen to this podcast, they'll, <laughs> they'll be chuckling right at this particular part because we couldn't be more different. Um, yet um, values family values everything's the same but yeah she's a lawyer she's a lawyer she used to have the art class following mine in high school and um and it was clay and sculpture and i would create these sort of what i felt to be like these magnificent works of art and and the clay would still be drying up. I would set it. She would come into the next class and she would erase my name and put in her name into the drying clay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, come in the following week and the professor would kind of look at me like, I expected more from you, Patty. And I was like, no, I swear. And, and then she'd be holding up this sort of, you know, you wouldn't use it as a doorstop kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And yeah. So. And did you, uh, have you always been close or did you? Well, you know, we definitely struggled with identity, no, um, no. given that we look so much alike. So that I would say those teen years were, were challenging. Like she's four minutes older. She's definitely the prettier twin, smarter. And, and, um, mm -hmm. and I, you know, and just like that four minutes kind of gives her that, that refinement and confidence and it's that protector aura. It's, I know you're laughing, but I'm telling no, I've you, heard about this. have you, it's, it's, it's true. It's like just the way she carries herself. It's just like this confidence. So no, I say identity was a big issue. Uh, and then she pursued her uh, law degree at university college, Dublin, um, pardon me, Trinity Trinity uh, College in Dublin. And it was that moment where we were apart when I realized how lucky we were. And then 
uh, people telling us our whole life long how lucky we were. So, and then it finally hit me over the head. Oh, wow, we're lucky. So now we live 20 minutes apart and um, our children can't tell us apart. Neither can our partners. No way. Um, yeah. Have you ever switched? Oh, well, we have. Ooh, we no, being husbands. I mean, we, let's keep it clean. You know, I'm talking like maybe a, a date, a friend, a joke. You know, okay. So up. because to, to bring it back to industry, I will tell you a funny story because we all know him. Ralph Archibald, um, oh. SVP. Yeah. Okay. Lots of head shakes. Um, uh, sales and marketing at Polygon. So yes, one, one day Danny came to the office to visit and she took a brochure into his office and just told him that we had to, you know, overhaul the whole thing. She just had a second thought about it and didn't feel right about the direction. And he was, you know, got all red and flustered and, you know, in, in the funny way that he would and, and, uh, couldn't understand. And then he looked up and looked down, looked up. And then I came around the corner and <laughs> we got him. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's an industry story of trickery. And then, yes, there have been other playful attempts um, on the more personal side, but uh, those ones maybe after after another class. Yeah, maybe stay on the personal side. <laughs> Tell me after. <laughs> Kim, I just want to acknowledge you losing your mom. Oh. Yes, I feel just, just it's so fresh and uh, just feels weird not to talk about it. I mean, we're so close. We've worked together so long and it was recent and um, you are just... Uh, a beast in terms of taking care of her and, and, uh, just, I mean, it's just such a hard time and it dragged on and just admire you for, you know, doing so well at it, frankly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it, it was hard. Um, you know, being the adopted only child and not having a big family, um, it's all on you. It all fell on me. And my dad has, uh, you know, advanced Alzheimer's. So he's in a care facility. So for the last while, it's been taking care of, um, you know, two elderly parents. And in May, my mom was diagnosed with um, terminal lung cancer. So her and I went through that journey together. And, um, and I'm really happy that I was able to go through it with her. I'm also really fortunate that um, um, key marketing was so great in allowing me the time to be able to to spend with my mom and, and, um, and to make sure that, you know, that there was, there wasn't going to be no unanswered questions or nor bad feelings or no, I don't feel guilty about anything. I feel very, very supported. Um, but my mom ended, she ended up, um, passing away last week. Oh my gosh, Kim. I know. I know. And I remember you with your dad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really tough, but it was tough, but it was beautiful. Um, and it was relatively quick. And that makes, um, I think that that makes a big, big difference. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Have, have, have a cheers to your mom. I'll cheers that too. Cheers to mama. Oh, it's so sad. Um, but you were awesome. And then when I say nice welcome back, it's because uh, Kim's just back today after uh, taking the time that was necessary and, and um, all good things come to an end and. But on a brighter note, Kim, tell me about you. You mentioned being adopted, which I know everyone knows mm. my kids are adopted. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell Patty, in case you haven't, about rediscovering your birth family and how that happened. Because it is hilarious and awesome. Oh, my God. So it was like February of this year and I was sitting on my sofa wondering what I was going to do with my life. <laughs> you know, questioning. I'm in my forties. As we do. As we do. And I was like, is this the best it's gonna be? <laughs> and all of a sudden I got a, a a ping in my like Facebook Messenger. And I never use Facebook Messenger. And I open it up and it's a message from a person purporting to be my birth father. Hmm. And immediately I was like, ha, huh, no way. Scam. Total joke don't believe it. Well, then I got another message and it was an aunt saying, go log on to this random ancestry DNA site and you will see that you're a match with me. And so I was like, well, okay. So I go log on and sure enough, it's like a 99% match. And the person who had reached out to me was actually my birth father. So that was mind blowing. 
um, mind blowing and good and great. Very cool. Of course you, you wonder about the family, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that I have like two half brothers and then I have all of the, like my, my birth father was one of seven children and all of them were incredibly prolific breeders, like, (laughs) (laughs) like lots of kids. And so like no less than three. So I'm actually like really like the black sheep of the family because it's like, like, sorry, just me and the Chihuahua. <laughs> That's what you get. Um, so I've had the opportunity to meet a couple of them and they have been absolutely wonderful. Um, I haven't met anybody on my birth mother's side and I'm actually, I'm actually quite okay with that. But it's been, um, it's actually been a really nice journey to go through, especially given um, what has currently happened mm-hmm. with my mm-hmm. adopted family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in one year, I will have lost both of them, really. Mm-hmm. But now I have gained an entirely new family that has just totally like they've opened their arms up to me. Well, and, and Kim will say for them to have Thanks. you be on the other end. I mean, they were saying what you're saying now about them to their friends because they couldn't have gotten luckier. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the only sad part of it though was, is that um, the father's side of the family had never wanted to give me up for adoption, mm-hmm. but they were forced to. Mm-hmm. And so they had actually spent all of this time trying to find me. And, and so it was a bit, it was a bit awkward for a bit. Cause they were like, well, have you, haven't you been looking for us? This and I was going to ask you, had, had you been, I hadn't, I hadn't been because I've, I really, I'm a, a person that just really believes that, you know, you, you live the life you have and, and you make a decision and then you move forward on it. And I didn't feel the need to have to look back. Um, but for them, that was a, a bit hard for them to hear. Uh, but I just said, you know, that was, that was how I got through mm-hmm. knowing that I was adopted and, and, and there's always going to be complications when you're adopted. You have various mm-hmm. feelings that come from being adopted. But, um, but I think now we're on really, really good terms. Where do they live? Uh, oh, sorry. They, they live everywhere. <laughs> Who's the closest? One's in Victoria great. and he's great. And my, um, bio dad, he's in Cranbrook, which is where I was born. Um, he's a hunter and so he goes and guides into the mountains and takes people and shoots animals, you know, all the stuff that I love to do on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) Big fan, right? (laughs) He's like, we'll take you camping. I'm like, probably not. (laughs) Is there an Airbnb close by? (laughs) That works. So I think, um, I have a, I do want to go meet him and he's very keen to meet me, but, but we're going to have to have like some, you know, some ground rules of, okay, maybe camping, but it'll have to be in an RV, definitely have to have a toilet, you know, there's some <laughs> stuff that's got to go around that. I can't wait to hear this journey. I know. Journey goes. I know. I know. I'm actually pretty excited about it. It's super cool. I just love hearing about it. There's every, you know, several months there's like a, I had a drink with my uncle or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, something that, yeah, that's awesome. Well, and it turned out too, that my, um, um, bio dad, like he, he was quite a boxer and, um, he was a, a, content, a contender to actually be an Olympic boxer. Um, except that there was just one incident that he had, which was, you know, he kind of, you know, got a girl pregnant and that kind of changed. You. <laughs> no kidding. That changed his entire life trajectory. And so I've, I, I really do want to actually ask him about that. Of course. You know, I haven't, yeah. but that's a, that's a, that's a like in-person. Bring, bring um, him on the show. I'm interested and I want to learn what to do as yeah. an adopted father and what not to do as well. But have your kids brought up anything surrounding their adoption? Well, I think it's different. You know, when I grew up, uh, I don't think I knew anyone that was adopted and if they were, I would never have known. Um, but that's very retro nowadays. Um, best practice is that you talk to your kid about it from day one, literally, uh, even before they're able to understand it. And, you know, in the very, very early days, um, you know, you might explain it, like let them know that, you know, this is mommy and daddy, but you also have a tummy mummy and, you know, explain what that means. And, and, uh, 
around the age that they're understanding, you know, the, just the concept of being pregnant or, or the babies, that's where babies come from. They can start to grasp that. And that's what we've done. And it's worked out amazing so far. Uh, kids are seven eleven, and they are awesome. And in most every way, most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and are they siblings themselves? Or They look like they could be, but they're not. They're just both of, you know, mixed ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we adopted them from uh, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's just a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of shit going on down there that you might see on Jerry Springer and, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just some, some crazy, crazy cultural economic issues, you know, that, that create a lot of, you know, high school pregnancy and all this kind of thing. And so, you know, if you're looking for a baby, that's a good place to go. There's lots. Apparently so is Cranbrook. Cranbrook too. Yeah. It's the, uh, South Carolina <laughs> of Western Canada. Anyways, no, all kidding aside, you talk to kids about it from day one and they are amazingly resilient, flexible. Yeah. And the idea is, um, with them forever. It's their understanding of it that evolves. And for sure there'll be questions, you know, when I was 15 through 17, you know, I thought I was smarter than my parents and all, you know, everyone has these natural thoughts and you question everything and, and they will definitely do that. And I'm terrified of it, frankly. Um, and, uh, but I think they're better prepared having had a clear and honest understanding of it all, everything. Mm-hmm. And they're un- their understanding itself evolving rather than the truth evolving. I think the worst case scenario is what happened in days gone by. I think when, when somebody found out they had been adopted by their parents, maybe at 15 years old or something like that. And there, I could imagine they would really upset me. It would rock me to my core. My, uh, my mom gave up a baby for adoption when she was 18 and, and that, uh, that baby ended up being raised in Powell river and when they opened up the, um, I guess it was the Catholic Church where the holders of the adoption records, when they opened that up, the baby, now 25, was able to find uh, my mom's name on, on the certificate. And wow. a, it was a call from social services, a, a delegate on, on behalf of my sister. I'll give away the punchline. And um, and uh, my mom initially said, no, I, I don't want to meet her because I basically have not told anyone about, about this baby. So I hadn't told us, her three children. And, um, oh. oh, I know. And then, uh, and then God love her, my sister Sue, she pursued and tried again. And my mom opened the, the door that time. And, nice. um, yeah, it was, and it was the best thing that one of the best things next to my son that's ever, ever come into my life has been my sister. That's so nice. And she, yeah, um, is a smart, try. smart cookie. And, uh, she did her PhD, um, and her dissertation was the identity of the adopted child. And, uh, so I, I'd love to, I'll put you guys in touch because, wow. um, she's incredible. And now she lives in Victoria and, um, she, anyway, so just to say to your point about sort of truth and, um, you know, my dad always said lies persist, but the truth just is. And I, I always think, you know, ever, if, if I'm even about to tell a white lie, I stop, I has, I think about him and I, and I just, it's not worth it. It's just you're always cleaner with the truth. Now, that being said, there's, there's um, things like age and certain complications around, you know, levels of maturity where kids are able to handle bits of information. But, um, so Sue always knew she was adopted, but, um, but there was just, anyway, she, she didn't live the life that my mom had believed she was going to, um, based on the information she had at the time of the adoption. So just a very different era at different times. It sounds like things are, have, have changed. Well, I can't speak for everyone. I only know the people I met during the process and, you know, that that we keep in touch with and and how we're doing it. So definitely no expert in it, but obviously very passionate about it. And um, I think foundation of truth is good. There will be issues. They'll be better prepared. At least it won't be a surprise. Won't have been, you know, charged with the deceit and the (laughs) thinking that I would think that my whole life was a lie, you know, like I'd gone through this my whole life with this one understanding and finding out that wasn't true. It was just uh, not just a terrible idea. Agreed. So again, not an expert, but anybody that's out there listening that thinks this wondering that's going through, that's a young adoptive parent or whatever, it's been totally great. And the questions I think are almost easier Mm -hmm. when they come from little people, Mm -hmm. you know, because you can still outsmart them, you know, yeah. and that won't be the case later. <laughs> and uh, you can explain it in a way. And when you simple it down to 
levels that they can understand um, what it is and even the why behind it is easier to explain. And, you know, Cam, there's probably that to to an extent, whether it's, um, you know, same sex couples or, you know, kids who, who are going to have questions from a variety of different, you know, for different reasons. It may be, you know, why don't I look like my mom or why do I have two moms or, and so, um, like you said, the more we can be open and talk about it and share experiences and, and also distinguish what's the kid playing up, which is just the natural course of action on a growing child and a growing brain versus them struggling with their identity or, or something else. And just being able to, 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 you know, parlor those. Oh, I'd love to learn more about that because I think identity is, uh, is something that's at the core of a lot of, um, adult mm-hmm. adopted mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. you really, really, really struggle with that, especially if you were part of um, the closed adoption, sure. which I was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just got to be huge. Um, anyway, we've had a good experience with it, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on how it goes. Thank you. So, what advice would you have? Would you have Patty on, on for maybe a young? Woman who's entering the industry or thinking about joining the industry, what have you learned along the way about how to succeed? Well, for the most part, everyone will typically say yes to meeting for coffee. And if you can, you know, get get someone on the other end of the phone, um, just ask and take in as much as inform- as much information you as you can. But come prepared with the questions that you you know that you, you know you're trying you you want to do the lift and the work. And uh, so I would say. Be curious, um, make the call. I, I had so many female mentors, um, you know, through the industry, like such as Diana McMeekin, uh, Kathy Grant, and, and a lot my own age too. I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily a hierarchical age thing or chronologically, um, driven thing. It, it can come from all sorts of different places. So I'd say, yeah, that would be the first thing is, um, get mentors, get mentors, take coffees, take coffees, um, and also these industry events of which there are there we are not in, in short supply of. So, you know, on any given week you can go to crew, you can go to ULI, you can go to NAOP, you can go to UDI, you can you know, it just goes on and on and on. And uh again, gravitating to the thing that, that works for you, but also you may want uh is a growing opportunity for you or growth a growth moment. So um, you know, maybe that's networking. It's it's you're an introvert and and you want to, you know, kind of emerge a bit or, or learn how to, um, take that on there, there are, you, there are uh, pockets for everybody, I think, whether you, or, or if you want to be more active, if you just want to increase your social life outside of work, there could be ax throwing or scotch tasting or, you know, or, um, uh, soccer leagues, um, you know, uh, Colleen Anderson, we is a good friend and I know she, she plays soccer and the people that she meets and, um, or her friends that, that would, you know, that she plays with or, um, hockey. Uh, anyway, so just to say, um, there's lots out there. So be choosy because time does fill up and, and, uh, you can burn out, mm-hmm. um, because this is all extracurricular stuff I'm talking about. This is setting aside the fact that you, you probably have a day job, um, which requires that mental sharpness. So you need good sleep. You got to get your, your eight hours, um, But don't you think that like real estate isn't just a job? Like, Mm -hmm, agreed. It's it's really like a lifestyle. Absolutely, Kim. I do. It takes over everything. Yeah. I agree. One of our company, um, one of the things we talk about company value, we talk about number one before the other two is passion. And that's really what it speaks to. It speaks to not just that you are passionate, that you bring passion to your work, but that, that it's authentic. Like you can't really fake it. And when you do, it's pretty obvious. And if you are, if you don't really love real estate, if you don't love the industry, mm-hmm. it, your work will drain your energy. Mm-hmm. But when you find people that, that do love it, where it's authentically true that they love it, uh, it, their work gives them energy and then it's boundless. And how lucky are we that, that we are a center of excellence for what we do, you know, oh, I know. We get to, amazing. We, right. We get to do this here and, um, that's that's such a gift and and so few people i i think leave the industry i think they are lifers and they can pivot and go to those companies that who where their values align more with their own so it's maybe about finding fit but you're still kind of doing doing it just um with more kind of values alignment and when what you were saying about how key was so gracious um to you know probably go beyond the the government mandated five bereavement days you know and and had heart and, and humanity to what you were going through that's in in line with your your set of values i would imagine and would make it a very authentic message to share with 
you know, on a recruiting campaign or, or whatnot, but, and you can't, you can't make that stuff up or, you know, write it down and say, this company gives you more than the bereavement required. I mean, that's just <laughs> that sounds stupid. <laughs> it sounds so silly, right? But it's like, but, but those, are, I mean, again, if not, if there's a way to message that up, it's just to say you guys live your values. And I think that's so honorable. Definitely. But it's also just understanding that people are key. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have the right people working together mm-hmm. that love what they do. And that's really where that magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you, and once you have that group of people, you've got to foster its growth and you have to watch them grow and build the talent and all of that. Uh, if you don't have the people, it's really, really hard to make that happen. So I know I'm not the interviewer, but can I ask you a question <laughs> on that? When, what happens when you when you don't have that person or you have someone in, in the group that just is not that and is is bringing the toxicity into the group or you know, is there versus just the band aid, or maybe it is just a band aid, like you're out or work, working them through that particular issue to kind of reveal a blind spot, finding it an area of growth or opportunity. Like what, what has been successful for you in building team members where? Well, I think a big thing is, is that we will get feedback from the team. Okay. Yeah. And, and that is probably the most powerful source Mm -hmm. is that when you have team members that are coming to you and they're saying that, that there's some consistent issues that are coming up, um, then that at least allows you to be able to meet with that person and go through that and, and go, you know, is this something that is, you know, is this something that's a training issue mm-hmm. that we can, that we can kind of overcome? Or is this something that is a, you know, a fit issue? Right. And then generally speaking, you know, we don't like to prolong that for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, we really don't want to have to have a person who is unhappy or toxic in our work environment for a long period of time, because what we found is that that just ends up taking down the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, or you actually end up losing yeah. good people that's because of one about. person. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of the, the, the way that we would handle that. Thanks for sharing. I'm always curious. So why real estate? You two could work anywhere. You're both legends and uh, you could go anywhere you want. You could even make a change to another industry. Why Why have you chosen to stay in the real estate industry? Well, I, I love the, the corporate branding piece that I, that I focus on now. So as much as I love um, the buildings and the individual brands and the campaigns associated to each one of those, I was ready for something different. And this opportunity with a company that... Uh, give such attention to its corporate brand because it realizes that, um, you know, corporate reputations are, are evolving and it's sort of a constant effort. It never stops. Um, and then that burning question of what it is you want to be known for and continuing to ask that and, and aligning act- actions with that. Um, so that to me was sort of in a sense, a sort of a, a migration and a movement, not out of the industry, but um, into a different uh, layer um, of development. So development I is a, an aspect of what, what I think that I am part of every day, but it's also investment, portfolio, capital partnership, um, fundraising. And then again, most, most importantly, the reputation in that I'm providing our key stakeholders with essentially the, the communications and the tools and the key messages that they need um, to influence and to, you know, those, those who are at the coal face of our activities to give them what they need to be successful in getting the message out. And similarly to have the positive impact, um, from our activities associate to the Grosvenor brand. So those are the two things that I, I like to kind of focus on that sort of, I think, distinguish what I do now with what I used to do with project brands. Cool. It's, it's, I forget that you're in so many sectors and industries. I just think of Grosvenor as a real estate developer, but it's, it's a lot more. Patty, how long have you been around for? Have I been around? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very, how long has Grosvenor well, been around okay, for? I'm very proud. I've been, yeah, it's been about 20 years in the industry, but Grosvenor has been around um, since 1677. So three, 345 <laughs> years, 70 of those years have been spent here in Vancouver and Canada. They, uh, they diversified their activities in um, the 50s, came to the Commonwealth and wanted to spread their eggs, not just in one basket, but um, came here and the purchase of Anasis Island. And um, that was what started our operations here. And, um, and uh, yeah, so now uh, this year, actually January of this year, we 
uh, sort of recast our brand um, and articulated it in a way that is is all around sort of one Grosvenor. So where we take all of the activities of the business and and have that under one company name, which is just Grosvenor. So that is urban property, food and agriculture, and the philanthropic activities of the Duke of Westminster um, through the Westminster Foundation. So um, that that's been a that's been a really again a really cool, challenging comms effort, if you will, um, to take a 345-year-old brand, multiple different, yeah, you can see it here on the website, multiple different activities, um, but still, you know, carve out what, you know, we, again, as the urban property side of the business, uh, the things that are, are important to us, the audiences, the messages, the things that are, that are going to continue to allow us to grow and get business. So um, that's been a great challenge this year. Cool. How's your whiskey, by the way? Low. It's very low. <laughs> Tell me, has anyone made an empty glass joke? That's so funny. No, no. An hourglass joke, which is like inappropriate now that I think about it. Um, but, uh, um, but no, empty glass. Gosh, I don't know. That would Nothing. be cutting and hurtful if they had. <laughs> I just choose not to hang out with people like yeah. that. Um, no, it's a good one. Of course, you, the creator, would think of something that clever. <laughs> so Patty, here's something that you don't know about me mm-hmm. is that I was, um, and in 1993, I was at the debutante ball. <gasps> what? Okay. I don't, I grew up in Ladner, so I don't even know what that is. Well, so I ended up having to go through all the pageantry oh and gosh. I actually met one of the original Dukes. I should have brought the photo and I was in a big fluffy white ball gown and it was where was this in vancouver (laughs) so kim why why real estate for you you've been at it a while what do you like about it do you recommend it for uh the younglings the up-and-comers i mean i think you have two choices in vancouver you're either in tech or you're in real estate and um i think for women real estate offers them such a great opportunity for advancement um there is just so many different avenues that you can go whether you want to be development side or whether you want to be marketing side or sales side and you can really build a great living for yourself in vancouver that's so well said yeah it's right though yeah, hey? it's a hundred percent you know and so i i mean i stayed in it i mean again my dad was in real estate so um you know, and it drove me crazy when I was a kid because he was really excited about looking at all of these rundown buildings. I love that your story started. I know in the backseat of his car, him driving around, looking at real <laughs> yeah. estate, talking about it with his, <laughs> with his daughter pol- trapped <laughs> with, his, with, his, well, with his Polaroid camera. Right. And he was like, oh, look at this. This is going to be amazing. Um, but, I've, you know, what I what I love about real estate is I actually love being able to drive around the city and go, you know what, I worked on that and I'm actually providing homes for people. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, as much as Vancouver kind of gets, you know, slagged for affordability and we can definitely do a better job at it, we still are doing some of the best development in the world. And I don't think that we give ourselves enough credit for that. And so when I see what we're doing and when I see how the city is developing and I see the innovation that we're bringing into the city that isn't being done anywhere else in the world, that's the stuff that really keeps me in this industry. That's the stuff that makes me excited. That's cool. I get it. I like it too. <laughs> I do. And Cam, why are you still? Yeah, I just totally agree with you. I, I like that part of it. I also like the scale of it. Mm-hmm. I like that it's so measurable. I'm competitive and I like to um, compete and win and have it be measured. And there's just some parts of the, of the grandeur of real estate that I like, and also the permanence and driving around and looking at it as opposed to technology, which I used to be in. And it was just easily deleted and just, Mm -hmm. yeah, the part of it I was in just wasn't nearly as much fun. Mm -hmm. Kim, who are some of your mentors in the industry on the, I don't know why it doesn't need to be women, I guess, but I feel that's sort of a theme for the day based on Patty's award and it's you know i'd like to see more strong women leaders in our industry and and i think there's some people listening that are going to hear the mentorship uh, message loud and clear and would probably like to know who you were looking up to well i mean i think that diana mcmeekin had one of the biggest impacts on almost all women 
in Vancouver. Um, we were all touched by her. And Kathy Grant was another person. As a as a close personal friend, Gigi. Oh, yeah. Grace. Yeah. Grace, Grace Austin. Austin. Grace Austin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go by her maiden name. <laughs> just for brand's sake, you know. You know, it's just... You know, so great. And, um, you know, and Karen West, like there's just been so many really. I meet Joe Hall. Yeah. I just saw her the other day. It was just so refreshing. Yeah. Just so. And, and like you said, it's people that are willing to take coffees that you can go and you can talk to. And there's and there's no ego and and, you know, ask me any questions. And don't you find, too, now it's like to have, say, the salary conversation. You know, we're all mature. We're all like, it's just, let's lay it out on the line. And to your point about developing friendships and, and this being, you know, your, your world in a sense, to be able to have that level of trust built up with friends and, and colleagues and um, coworkers, competitors, whatever you want to call it. And to be able to have these honest conversations. So we all know we're doing, you know, we're all, we're all rising up. Mm-hmm. Um, but only if we share information, can we truly fully know when we take something into our hiring manager and say, well, no, 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 I know this is what you know, is happening out there. And, you know, yes, you may have had a third party survey, but. Oh, oh what do you mean? You know, wanting to beat the boys? Yeah. That's like down straight. <laughs> that's <what I'm> <laughs> but it's true because it all used to be really under this. Very hush hush and no one talked oh, about it. <laughs> don't do that. Don't talk to the competition. Yeah, no, it's very true. So it's, it's really great that you have people and there's transparency and there's trust. Um, and, and, and that out of that comes a lot of goodwill. And I think what's great about Vancouver is is that it it's a small community, mm-hmm. but it's a very supportive community. Well said again, really well said. <laughs> you're just firing on all cylinders. <laughs> Thank you, whiskey. So you're a team. Your team is what you're saying. That all women in the industry are sharing well, their salaries and working together. Okay, I mean, I, I'm, no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's only some. Um, could be a bit pleasant, Phil, the way I described it. It's more. I, I guess it's those that you've you've developed friendships with, and you know that that again, you know, you at this point in our life, we're friends with people that we you know we trust and respect, and it doesn't mean we always see to eye to eye. I mean, certainly not. In fact, I get more heated debates with those you know group of women that I I just you know um, I just adore, but might not agree with. But that's okay. That's healthy. I think what I think what Cam's sort of suggesting is that you know. Women have historically had a, you know, we've been known for cutting each other down, you know, rather than lifting each other up, like being competitive because we had to compete with the boys. And the only way that we could compete with the boys was we needed to get rid of the women, you know, and now it's going, you know, actually we need to support women in this industry so that we can continue to move up in this industry. I mean, we are also the ones that are living in these homes and um, and we need more of us in this industry. And that's going to not only make the industry more diverse, it's going to make it stronger and it's going to encourage younger people to come into this industry. You know, and I was so happy when we went to the um, uh, the UDI award event last year and just to see the number of young people different people that were having such a great time and it and it you know took me back to when I was young and I was like oh my god there's so much energy and so much enthusiasm but what I didn't have then was I didn't have a network of people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now there is a network of people that can support you and help you grow yeah yeah that's cool um is it getting better like when you first started so so long ago when you first started in this industry in the old days uh, did it uh like you said there was five of you have you seen an amazing journey from when you started when they're like you say five i think you're being funny but there was call it five women in the industry until now i mean there was like the the pack of us there would i mean us if i can include yeah. myself in the five. yeah yeah <laughs> but but yeah absolutely there are there are more um and and it's, it's so exciting to see the ones who would have been junior at the time succeed to these these great positions with great companies or choosing to work or having the choice to work at the companies that um you know they they seek out and then they be and to find their home and settle in and be happy and um again back to the values like they've just 
been maybe perhaps to a few different companies and then they've settled in on one that really fits and it's like a you know well like this beautiful leather couch you just kind of sit in it and it fits comfortably and you don't want to get out and um that that's been so neat to see um people settle if that if in the, in that sense in that comfort sense of the word um or fit sense of the word i guess so but, but the industry has also become more supportive for women yes yeah. you know it used to be if you had a kid mm. Mm, that was it you're kind of done and so now to be able to see women being you know, having children, taking time off, coming back, having flexible work schedules, you know, still being able to be in the industry doing what they love and being able to be a mom. Uh, I don't think it was like that 10 years ago. I think you kind of had to make a bit more of a choice. And and I wonder on that, I had a conversation with a colleague the other day who um, they're deciding when to have their first child and they'd be, they'd be in their sort of early 30s. And uh, she's with a developer and... Um, is thing is really you know contemplating this well okay if i have my first child now but i'm just at this level you know that kind of director vp level if i leave and and then i come back for a year because i want to have my kids close together i want to have two um you know if, if she in in theory is viewing it as though she has to take four years out of the workforce um and you know right at this prime point in her career and again for this promotion that may not is imminent but isn't certain because especially with this climate but um and i want so i wonder kim to your just to challenge that point about being more supportive now whereas me i had my baby at 40 much later in my in my career that was established i felt a bit more confident that i could step away and kind of insert myself back and kind of be at the be where i wanted to be and be satisfied with that but if i was making the decision in my 30s which i intentionally did not in my 30s for that very reason that my friend is now contemplating is that concern about stepping in out i'd love to be challenged on that because i just don't know if that as a business owner how, how do you you know grapple with that with with people where you know they may essentially be gone for four years and come back and want this yeah it's a thing it's loaded and yeah. i and i hope i haven't stepped into anything here but i i do wonder about about what the way of it is now for mm. people making that decision what are your thoughts yeah well, I have, I have lots of thoughts on it. You know, if I'm radically honest to pretend that when interviewing a person, um, you know, a female that's of a certain age and certain situation in life, you know, it, it crosses your mind uh, to say that that never happened. You definitely can't ask about it, but to say that you'd never thought it or wondered is just frankly not true. And I, I think the, uh, I think pay should be equal and opportunity should be equal. And, but it's, in reality, going to be so hard to attain because the fact is that there is that even if the parenting was completely equal, you know, in terms of who is the primary caregiver, giver, sorry, um, it would be a real stretch to say that the whole thing is going to equal out perfectly because there's that physical time. There's that, right. you know, you know, there's just, I mean, uh, I don't see in the near future. You know, just don't get around that. You know, she's going to be the one having the baby and not him in, a, in sort of a classic hetero relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tough one to perfect. But as long as we keep moving in the right direction, I guess that's the main thing. Yeah. And and, and I, mean, I guess just to round it on a sort of a happy, positive note, I do think that when the when they come back to work, when we come back to work, you know, we have a nursing room now in the office that we never had five years ago. And, um, you know, and this idea of this notion of leaving to pick up or to be around a drop off or whatever the thing is. I mean, that to me feels light years ahead of even five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what role COVID played in that or the work from home shakeup. I'm not sure if we would have gotten there as quickly as we have. Um, had I think not- COVID, I think COVID was good for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. But I think. Back to your point about, you know, supporting moms, I still see that women are delaying having kids Mm -hmm. until they do have a career that is to a certain point. And then once they feel that they've got that, they've got their feet underneath them, then they, then they're like, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to have my first kid versus saying, well, you know what, I'm kind of interested and I've been working in it for a couple of years. I'll have a kid and then I'll see if I'll come back. They're, they're not, they're definitely not wanting to do that. Like there, there really is like, there's an insurance policy that they want to have to be able to come back into the industry and be successful. Are you saying that's a good thing or that that's an indication that we're um, well, not quite I don't, there yet? No, I mean, I, I, I think that it's just the reality. Um, 
I think that um, I think that as a woman, you 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 know, kind of women are planners, <laughs> and you know, we we kind of want to know like, okay, this is going to happen in this year and this year and this year, and and I think that. I think it's good that women are considering their options and planning for it, knowing that at the end of the day, there will be a job for them. So, which is good for their family. I think that's a great point. And that expertise doesn't go away. You don't lose, you don't not have it. I think the only thing that will do that to you is if you um, somehow sewer your reputation. So <laughs> that, I mean, really like, I, I, you know, there's yeah. never a shortage of people asking for, Hey, do you know, do you know a really good marketer? I mean, I'm sure you get the calls. I get that everyone, again, this is where sharing information comes in handy. It's like, you know, do you know, I need a coordinator. I need a manager. I need a director. I need a VP. Every level. And um, so that that skill set, that knowledge, it's inherent. It's there. And that follows you along with your personal brand. Yeah. And if those stay at a certain level, again, stepping out, stepping back, shouldn't impact it necessarily. Um, and in fact, I'd argue you'd probably come back a bit better, more refreshed and uh, reprioritizing certain things and um, maybe more efficient. Um, Definitely more efficient, don't you think? <laughs> I think so. And I'm not a planner, but I, I am now. I never used to be. <laughs> I mean, um, as a parent you are. As a parent I am. No yeah. doubt. Mm -hmm. So how's that going? How's parenting? Well, you know, it's, it's wonderful. It's, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. It's a gift. It was a total surprise. He just sort of arrived and, um, talk about back old me not being a planner. He, this baby wasn't, he was a little bit, but, um, yeah, it's my little Robert. And How old? He's four. He just turned four. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, he has two sisters who are 16 and 19. They're his, um, his half sisters. And, uh, so that it's a wonderfully, um, large loving household when everyone's there at once, which isn't often, but, um, it's just very cool to raise kids, you know, at such opposite ends of this, of their sort of education and age. Um, but it's and a by wonderful thing. Cool. You mean like nearly impossible and tiring and well, I mean, everyone has their own set of needs and, and deserves that the time to kind of be, be with them in the moment that they, whatever they need. Right. I mean, if it's, um, I don't know if my stepdaughters are going to listen to this or not. I hope they will, but I don't wanna, um, you know, if one wants to talk about, I don't know, a, a guy, for example, and just being there for that time to have that conversation and creating that time doesn't sound like a big thing, but as you know, it'd be your parent of two and it kind of doesn't matter what age it, it could be, you know, and it could be my, my son at four carving out that sort of 10 minutes to just sit, talk about his day, know that he's heard, know that nothing else matters. It doesn't change whether they're seven, 11, 19. And, um, I'd say the difference is now that they're 16 and 19 now talking about my stepdaughters is I genuinely want to hear what they have to say. And it becomes more of a conversation, um, that I believe is sort of built around kind of a mutual respect and a, a, a genuine like and love for each other. And whereas, you know, my son, it's just all love and excitement and, and exuberance. And um, so it's just, it's just magic. But um, yeah, so that said, they, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of love. So I feel very lucky. And so you named your son, Robert. Well, of course, of course, in honor of your dad. I did. Do you want to talk a little bit about your dad? Well, I would love to because, yeah, I mean, he's my reason d'etre. He's, he, he's how I started in the industry. He was a developer and partners with Rob McDonald. And they, um, I too drove around sales centers on weekends and <laughs> wanted to live in the show homes. And, um, yeah, but um, until I was about 15, he lived in St. John's, Newfoundland. So I, I grew up spending summers in St. John's and, um, and that was some way, if you haven't been, I highly recommend a trip to the, uh, to the Maritimes. I have you have been. Okay. Yeah. Or Atlantic Canada, I should say. Um, yeah. And so that, that's, that was my kind of foot in the door. And that's, that's one thing I'll say too, is I know we're talking a lot about women in the industry, but I think just, um, diversity in general in the industry, bringing the opportunity to be a developer or in development or have an influence in, in the city fabric and the city building, um, to people who may not have families who, who were 
in, you know, started out in the industry um, to bring that into the school system or, or to um, postal codes that, you know, they've got other priorities, quite frankly, than to, you know, than necessarily um, being able to talk about, about city design. And I, I, I guess I'm just sort of characterizing this all to say, let's open up the industry to kind of everyone versus just people with parents who were in it and um, calling myself out for sure. So I'd like to see more in, in high school programs and ULI's urban plan does a great job at that where they bring programming through um, Lego actually and um, they have a wonderful um, national program that it um, brings sort of these toolkits into classrooms and, and and has the class look at a sort of a fictional Elmwood development where you have to decide okay if you're going to move the homeless shelter where does it go or oh, I love that yeah it's it's actually really cool and then you know and everyone takes on the role a different role of the city planner the neighborhood liaison the city council and everyone has different agendas and different you know needs and wants out of out of the outcome and um, it just forces them to kind of think about city planning and it's just a wonderful program and I think that through that we can we can bring diversity into this industry in general through through education. Cool. And that's the type of work you do at ULI? That Yes. Yeah. That one's ULI. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You, the, it's all about learning at ULR, right? That's the main thing is, is yeah, training. Research, yeah, um, research, education, advocacy, land use. Yeah, they're not a lobbyist by any stretch. It's definitely more, yeah, the research and education yeah. piece, yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, I don't know much about, you know, I've been to a couple events and stuff, but it sounds, you know, it's got people like you leading it. It must be good. Um, yeah, I should probably uh, look at getting more involved, sounds like. Well, I'll come, I'll come knock on your door. Yeah, <laughs> soon, right? <laughs> What'd you say again? I said, knock on my door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably a better idea. So any uh, words of advice for um, anybody thinking about coming in the industry? Any sort of famous last words? Well, I'm going to channel a Diana McMeekin thing that both Kim and I know, and that is... Well, tell, before you do, oh, tell sure. me about her. Why uh, You both mentioned her. What is it that... Uh, I mean, I know her. She's maybe definitely got to listen to this. Yeah, I, I <laughs> think highly of her as well. But I would love to hear in your words what you were so drawn to, what you learned from her. Her, on, her honesty I just I, I she just held nothing back and um it was her honesty I was I was sort of just taken aback by it I thought you know w women always had to kind of keep something a little bit at bay right hold something back and I never felt that that was what she was doing she just sort of um effortlessly gave advice and um, would advocate for you if she believed in you and yeah cool I remember her saying to Rick Illich Rick do you want to fail? <laughs> That's a good one. And she was, she was absolutely, you know, she was that blunt and she, you know, the, the number of careers that she launched, has just been amazing in, the, mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver, oh, yeah. but that's true. Um, she never held back. She just spoke from her heart and, um, and a lot of what she said made a ton of sense. You know? and, and she had the voice or the ear of people in power too. Totally. Which was like, wait, and you're going to say something nice about me to them? Like, why would you do that? You barely know me. And um, yeah. Now, I don't know that she ever did about me personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I do know she was, yeah, she, um, but she has done and, and she's always, always been kind to me. Um, and um, like Andrea Camp at Mosaic. Mm -hmm. I mean... Like you said, she, I think she helped launch her career. Oh, for I mean, sure. And she basically runs Mosaic Sales and Marketing, and that's incredible. I met Diana McMeekin because she used to write a column in the Vancouver Sun. And I wrote to her. Oh, you didn't? Really? I did. <laughs> I love I it. I wrote to her, and I said, I want to learn more. And she was she wrote me back. And so we ended up having a, a coffee meeting, mm -hmm. and it was just so amazing and then rounds back to your point of people you know people are willing to help they, they, if you ask if you if you ask yeah if you ask and it, again it doesn't need to be this you know we, we'd say people you know just go ask for what you want just it's there to take it it doesn't need to be these like big grand gestures yeah. out of the gate it can just be like a, like a tiny little ask like hey i saw your name on linkedin and i just wondered could we just grab a coffee and again i mean the chances are of like you and i saying no to that i mean absolutely not totally um and then they always say you know if you want something done ask a busy person and that's kind of, i kind of love that too it's like the the things that i definitely don't have time for i almost make more time for because they're oh. you know they're, they, they could be life-changing and you never know and not to not to be so egotistical that we would change lives but if it could just 
give someone a bit of confidence to believe in themselves that they could apply for the job or, you know, ask for the reference letter or whatever it may be. But, but my point about Diana was that she always said, you know, be nice to people on the way up because you never know if you're going to need them on the way down. And, and that kind of speaks to this idea of personal brand and just everyone you encounter, doesn't matter if it's the, the person who's brought you water from reception yeah. um, or, you know, or, or the CEO who's interviewed you and sending a follow-up thank you note. Just everyone you come in contact with, particularly this industry is, you know, as, as the size that, that it is and the, uh, the people's ability to speak and share stories and just call up a friend for a reference. Like I would call, I was, making a hiring decision i would take a personal reference over anything else it's like hey have you worked with this person we're just wondering about da, 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 and um that goes so far so. yeah integrity goes a long way absolutely although diana mcmeekin's first bit of advice to me was don't ever put burnaby on your resume <laughs> get a vancouver address for your home address <laughs> Oh my goodness. She's serious, dude. Totally serious. Oh, that's funny. It's crazy to think that you are the Diana McMeekins to younger people like 20 years behind you. Um, so what would you what would you say to them? Any 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 famous sort of not famous, but famous last words, so to speak, in terms of finishing thoughts? Don't chase titles. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, that's don't, a good one. Don't jump ship to another company being wooed by a title. I think that is the biggest mistake I see people make. Uh, if I can be so bold, I just think. Oh, I think that resonates. Like I could imagine someone doing that and I could imagine getting them taking a step backwards because they're getting tricked into some lesser job at a lesser company. Exactly. And if you, and, and knowing that going back to the opening discussion around the values of the company and the person at the helm and how they live those values or demonstrate them more importantly um do just do a little just spend a little bit more time looking into the authenticity of what they're selling because um yeah that would be my my big piece of advice because the title will come like it will come as will the pay um mm -hmm. yeah no i think the same thing it's like chasing titles is is pointless if the experience doesn't follow so you know Look at the people that you're working with and take their knowledge and just, you know, sponge it in, learn as much as you can. And then, uh, and then, you know, if you have the opportunity to move up, then you do. If you end up moving out, that's fine. But I find a lot of younger people, they don't actually want to put the time in. You know, there's like, I want to do a year. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get to here in a year, then I want to be here. And, and look at all the macroeconomic or external influences that could come in the way of that said title, you know, from a, a business owner making a decision on whether to keep someone, someone or promote someone. I mean, these are, these are like big decisions. And it, like you said, they're, they're bigger than all of us, you know, as far as, the, you know, the, the economy. And a lot of people haven't seen through what we're going through right now. Um, and we thought COVID was it. And actually it wasn't in many ways. Um so I, th I, I completely agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good ones. Mm -hmm. Should we eat that pizza? I think the dog ate it. Oh my God. Oh, it's right over there. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. You guys are awesome. Thank and you. uh, well, you're Kim. an inspiration to so many. Kim, thank you. Thanks for the forum. And it's been wonderful to be here. Mm -hmm.